welcome to another episode of the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Locked On Sports Podcast Network, your team every day. In this case, your conference, the Conference of Champions. I'm your host, Emily Van Buskirk, and I'm here with you on this lovely October Monday, ready to break down some Pac-12 football from the weekend. This show, as you know, Monday is dedicated to all things recap. We're going to take a look at all of the games from this weekend, break them down, you know, play by play. Well, maybe not that in depth, but we're going to break them down and look at what happened and see how it changed things in the Pac-12 scope, as well as later in the show, take a look at how it changes things from a national perspective, because I think this weekend showed that the Pac-12 definitely gets underrated, as per usual, as per is the regular narrative. And But to the, to the degree that there's some statistics that I'm going to talk about that will show you how much people are undervaluing the Pac-12 as a conference and certain teams in the Pac-12, like Utah and Oregon. So we're definitely going to take a look at that. Thank you guys for listening in and make sure that if you aren't already to subscribe to the Locked On podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you can, and make sure you subscribe um, and rate and review if you're feeling so inclined. Also follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Pac-12 for all of the tidbits from the weekend during games and all of the stuff during the week and tweet questions if you have them or tweet things that you want to hear on the podcast. Also, you can follow me at MLM as I travel around the country covering college football, um, bringing you all the behind the scenes looks and stories. So that's pretty much what we're going to see in this episode, and I'm going to dive right in and start talking about this weekend's games. It's kind of tough, but I think I'm going to start at the beginning with Friday night's Oregon, um, Friday night's Oregon, Oregon's win over Colorado, 45 to 3, pretty, pretty crazy game in the sense that there really was no stopping Oregon at all. Um... They rolled, and they rolled really, really hard, which was good for Ducks fans. You know, being at home at Autzen Stadium, it's a very difficult place to play. It's loud, it's cold, and um, the fans know exactly how to rattle opposing teams. I've seen it in person. It's pretty incredible. But Colorado just looked a little bit lost, and it was weird coming from somebody like Montez and even having Lavishka Chenault back at wide receiver – you would, you would think, okay, you know, this game is going to be a little more even because Colorado was getting back a bunch of offensive weapons. So, you know, what, what happened? That's the real question is why, why did things go so south um, for Colorado? And Mel Tucker even he didn't really have, like, a reason. Um, he did cite penalties. There were 14 penalties for over 100 yards. I mean, that's a huge, huge shooting yourself in the foot issue. So he did cite that, um, but he did give a lot of credit to Oregon for just being a good team because there were turnovers that Oregon forced, but they're also Colorado was not efficient in the red zone. Um, so in a world where Colorado competes in that game, everything has to go right, including turnovers, limiting that and limiting penalties and being very disciplined. So when you're undisciplined like that, 
<clears throat> you don't have a chance in the world to upset um, a team like Oregon, who's very, very strong. Um, and Oregon's just so quick. That was the other thing that Mel Tucker said is that, you know, they move the ball down the field so quickly and so fast, you almost don't even realize um, uh, that it's happening. So I think that Colorado is going to have to take what they can from that game and leave what they don't need because it was it was just tough. It was tough to watch. I was rooting for Colorado a little bit because you want to see a good game always, but Oregon it looked great. They looked like a dominant team. So, you know, hats off to the Ducks. Um, moving forward down the list, we'll talk about two other games in this part of the podcast. And then as we move forward in the show, we'll break down the last two games and then talk about the national landscape. So the other game, the other two games was two, two that were really exciting. Um, ASU with a 38, 34 win over Washington state. And it was an incredible, incredible game to watch in the beginning. It, you know, it was very much ASU dominated. They had a good crowd. All the fans were out. Um, and their quarterback looked succinct. I mean, it was just, it was pretty impressive how they were rolling. And then defensively, you know, they were limiting Washington State, which is not is hard to do. But honestly, hats off to Jaden Daniels, the ASU quarterback, because his 17-yard touchdown run, you know, with 34 seconds left in the game is really what won the game for them and it was kind of the thing where all he had to do was get into field goal range you know to set up the win but the kid is a gamer and instead he ran for the end zone even Herm Edwards after the game could not believe that that's what he was going to do you know and he kind of flipped into the end zone in true Pac-12 fashion it was um, it was incredible game so just to see ASU play that well um, it was good but it was also kind of head scratching to see Washington State so stymied. You know, seeing Mike Leach look a little lost on the sideline was different than something that we've seen in the past. So um, I was a little surprised that it wasn't as close. But I mean, I mean, the Washington State quarterback, he didn't finish poorly. He had four, 466 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, but the 44 of 66 passing is kind of what's tough because you're throwing so much um it's it's people figure it out and then you start getting some ball hawking going on by asu and um it's hard to to overcome that so but you know washington state state did start well um and i I gotta love max borghi who scored a touchdown and then gave the forks down um little thing with his hand you know how they do the the horns down when like Oklahoma when they're playing Texas and they score they'll do a horns down he did a forks down which I'd never seen before but uh, very very cheeky by him I I have that on my Twitter if you want to go check that out there's a gif of that Um, again at MLM on Twitter you can go see a little gif of him doing that so you you kind of saw the swagger in Washington State in the beginning but um ASU's defense was just holding its own, you know. So even after the scores, they would come back and they would refuse to get shaken up by a scoring play. So in the end, uh, the Sun Devils reigned supreme and moved up in the rankings and became more of a conversation piece for the Pac-12. So it's always good to see that. And then lastly, 
we have the USC Notre Dame game, which people thought was not going to be very competitive. A lot of people across the nation thought Notre Dame would walk all over them, including me and my podcast on Friday. I I really thought that, you know, this is a different kind of Notre Dame team, but I forgot the golden rule that you can't ever fully know in the rivalry what's going to happen. In rivalry games, they take on different rules. So I should have remembered that. Notre Dame with the 30-27 win over USC. USC fought very, very hard, though, and it was kind of impressive to see that fight from them, Um, to see the Trojans just kind of like hold their own and and slow Notre Dame down, and and Ian Book, who is an extremely efficient quarterback for the most part, um, and to see USC quarterback Slovis just have a good performance um, in his first game back was encouraging. You know, having been out for a concussion, you know, he threw for um, 255 yards and two touchdowns, four straight scoring drives in the second half, which was imperative for for USC to be competitive in the game. So that was good to see, but. Notre Dame, they were just too good um, at the end of it, especially in the run game. Uh, 309 yards for the Notre Dame rushing game, averaging 6.6 yards per carry. So that was very, very impressive um, on their end. Tony Jones Jr. led the way for the Fighting Irish with 176 yards, rushing on 25 carries, and that makes it his third straight 100-yard rushing game. Um, obviously, Ian Book ha- added value in the air. But I think that the effort shown by USC in the fight against this top 10 opponent, especially on the road, is the moral victory in this game. It shows you, I mean, they're competitive and that they can beat anybody in the Pac-12 um, on any given night if they have a good enough game. So it makes USC definitely a little more scary for the people who have them on their schedule coming up. So those are the first three games from the weekend, and I think we're going to check out. We're going to check out the other two games coming up in the podcast, and then later we will talk about the national picture and what it looks like for the Pac-12 and what it all means. Okay, now I want to talk about the last two games from the weekend, but I want to start with. The 52-7 Utah win over Oregon State, easily the most entertaining for Oregon fans and most, I mean, for Utah fans and most painful for Oregon State fans. But at some point, it was cringeworthy how hard Utah was playing. You know, they they started quick and they put the pedal to the floor and they never, ever let up, which is admirable, you know, from Whittingham. But also it just gets to the point where you just feel bad for Oregon State. Um, they did manage to get in the touchdown, so they weren't completely shut out, but there was definitely a while where I thought Utah might not let them score at all. And that was very, very interesting. Don't know how to feel about that. It's like a car crash. You can't really look away, but you don't really want to watch. (laughs) So it was a good game. Um, very happy for Utah that they were able to have this definitive win and kind of show everyone in the nation how strong they truly are, how, how punishing their defense is. Um, and one of the things that came out of it, I think that was great, is that people recognize Tyler Huntley is one of the elite quarterbacks in the country. And and the, because the numbers don't lie. Yes, it was Oregon State, but still, 
he ranks fifth in the nation in passer rating. And the only people here he's behind, LSU's Joe Burrow, Oklahoma's Jalen Hurts, Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa, and Minnesota's Tanner Morgan. I mean, those are those are house names that he's up there with. And he ranks ahead of Ohio State's Justin Fields, Georgia's Jake Fromm, and Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, which is super, super impressive for somebody that people have never heard of. Because when you think of quarterbacks in the Pac-12, you automatically think of um, Oregon's Justin Herbert. Tyler Huntley hasn't really been, you know, in um, the conversation as much. But he was incredible in this 52-7 win over Oregon State. He went 14 of 17 for 257 yards, two touchdowns, and still no interceptions. He is one of only a handful of quarterbacks who have yet to throw an interception on the season. So that's impressive. And also, he's playing behind an offensive line that has allowed him to be sacked just four times this season, um, which is a huge, huge advantage for him, but also speaks to how much his teammates, you know, support and um, want to take care of him as their quarterback. So very, very impressive, um, impressive play by him and just impressive play by Utah in general. It was um, it was a surprising. I knew that they would win, but I did not at all think that it was going to be um, it was going to be that much. So it was. I think that the only word is to use is impressive. Um, so and watching not only Tyler Huntley but Zach Moss obviously being back and and playing a great game um, was incredibly you know encouraging to see so um but it's hard to talk about I mean Zach Moss's 91 yard touchdown run the first quarter was kind of set the tone seeing that and seeing like okay they're here they mean to do business um that run by the way was the third longest in school history uh, behind a 93 yard run uh, for Frank Nelson in 1947 and a 92 yard run for Steve Savoy in 2004. Both of those were against BYU, which you know a good Utah fan loves that. So it was good to see Moss off to the races. Um, so a great, great win for Utah over Oregon State. And we come to the last game in. For the weekend, and it's Washington's 51-27 win over Arizona. Now, this game was kind of interesting because I think people thought it'd be a little closer, given you know how Washington played at Stanford, not up to not up to what everybody thought. I mean, Eason had Jacob Eason had easily his worst game at quarterback at Stanford. So I think there were a lot of question marks about, okay, is this guy really who we think he is, and so forth. And then you see on the other side of the coin, Khalil Tate from Arizona having a phenomenal game um, in his last outing. So I think you go into that Washington-Arizona game thinking it's going to be a little closer than it was, but Washington looked incredibly good. And Eason looked like he'd never had a misstep at all. So for him, it's a great game. The weird thing about Khalil Tate is he's he's a great player, but sometimes his decision-making, particularly you know against Washington, it just has you scratching your head a little bit because you don't understand, you know, the rationale um, 
behind some of the plays and some of the things that he did. Um, like he had outlet receivers open so many times. And then you wonder, did he not see them? Did he not choose to throw to them? It's kind of just leaves you kind of baffled. But um, I think Arizona's defense really, really did well in that first half, which was fun to watch. But in the second half, it was just something, something else. I mean, in the Huskies, the big thing about Washington is when they catch stride and they're doing well, they are able to ride that momentum out all the way through a game. And this is what we saw at Stanford is the problem is they never got rolling. Stanford's defense was too disruptive. And they Washington's the kind of team that falls into that quicksand in the sinkhole where they can't really get out of it. They just don't have the mentality, whether that's from a coach or the players or whatever it is. Um, but Eason just looked way more at ease. And with things going well, he was able to capitalize on that momentum. Um, he threw in incredibly well, um, hit his receivers every time. Arizona should have had more passes on him. Uh, I mean, more pressure on him in the second half. That probably would have helped, you know, a lot more. Um, but, and they, and, you know, even head Arizona's head coach, Kevin Semlin, said that they did a nice job with the front four in creating this pocket for Eason. Um, and they did a nice job with their linebackers of running through. Uh, he said, even the run game, they just kept com- coming when we dropped back. They had some safety blitzes, which we hadn't seen a bunch of. Um, so give them credit. They did a nice job, which is nice from Sunland to say. I'm sure this is a very, you know, this is a very head-scratching game. One of the interesting things that he that Coach Sumlin said after the game um, about Tate, you know, they said, how do you, somebody asked him, how do you think Tate handled the pressure? And he said, we talked about it, you know, him stepping in there, not avoiding the rush so much. So when he was bailing out, he was bailing out right either into pressure or in the blocking surface. So, you know, he said that they talked about it. And then somebody asked if Tate was 100% healthy. And someone said, quote, I don't know, to be honest with you, end quote. And that's kind of an interesting thing for a head coach to say because it's noncommittal. And it's both kind of throwing him under the bus, in my opinion, and not backing your quarterback. So no matter how frustrated you are with one of your players, you don't put it out there into the universe like that because it's just not it's not a good look um, at all. So it's kind of a bummer that we had to see uh, someone say that. But this was a great, great game for Washington, and, and I can't speak – to how great it was. And, and you know, because I can't speak to it, I'm going to have a guest on the show for Tuesday who will be able to speak about um, Washington bouncing back in that win. And he is someone who covers them very closely. So he's going to have some good insight and good perspective on what this one means for the Huskies and how they should be able to navigate moving through the season. So stay tuned for Tuesday's show where we'll have a Washington expert on air Um to talk about it later on at the end. And to wrap up this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about top 25, the rankings and what and how, what and how, and all the, you know, whys of the Pac-12 and how it looks from a national perspective. So we will get right into that. Okay, so we have looked at all the Pac-12 scores from the weekend, 
And now you're probably wondering, what does it all mean? So let's talk about it together, right? We'll figure it out. Basically, Oregon's win over Colorado means that they are 100% that team that is in control of their own destiny. They have at least a two-game advantage over everyone in the division. Um, you know, Stanford at 2-2, two to two, and Oregon would win that head-to-head because they beat them. Washington at 2-2. Two and two. Cal is at 1-2. and two. Oregon also beat them. Oregon State's 1-2. and two, And Washington State, 0-3. Oh tough, tough. So we know that the Ducks are basically, I mean, as long as things don't completely fall apart, which we can't ever be sure of, um, Oregon looks good to be in the control of the North there. Um, they could be three games clear of everyone by November 1st, though. So I think it's important that we we take that into consideration. But then the other thing we know to be true is that the South is pure chaos. Prior to the season, we, we thought Utah was going to be in the driver's seat the entire time. I certainly wrote about it right after the Oregon-Auburn game that I watched. But, you know, we, we left the door open for USC because you never know with the Trojans. They're, they're always kind of a a maybe team so but now these Arizona schools waiting in the shadows to take over Arizona State and Arizona both at the time I mean the the crazy thing is like there's four schools boasting the same record we have Arizona at the top Arizona State underneath them USC Utah all four teams are two and one then at the bottom we have a Colorado that's one and two and a UCLA that's one and two so that means that the second half of this is going to be insane because Utah plays both the Arizona schools, USC plays both the Arizona schools, ASU plays Utah, USC, and Arizona, and the Wildcats have Utah, USC, and ASU. So it's basically going to be this Hunger Games in the South. Um I mean, Arizona was on top because of the schedule. They played the worst teams already. But and they did not look great against the Huskies, as we talked about. Um, but the Sun Devils, they are going to be in the race. Herm Edwards knows what he's doing. Uh, and the best thing about them is that they're just so efficient. Only 13 turnovers, turnovers in 19 games. They don't beat themselves, which is important in this conference, because if you don't beat yourself, you know, then that only leaves the opportunity for someone else to do it, um, which is. The way you want it. So as we look at what this means for a national perspective, we see Oregon um, coming in at number 12, and that is one up from their position last week, thanks to their win over Colorado. Then we have right behind them in the rankings is Utah at number 13, which is up two for the Utes, thanks to their win over Oregon State. So we've got two up there. And then as you scroll further down, we get to Arizona State, up one at number 17 with their win over Washington State. And then back in the poll this week, Washington coming in at 25, previously not ranked, so their win obviously was dominant enough for people to put them back in the top 25. So those are the four teams holding on in in the college football national landscape. And I think it's great because it's giving people more perspective on the conference and and how strong it is top to bottom. Every guest I've had has said that that's what makes this conference so special is that, yes, the Pac-12 may not have an Alabama or, you know, a Wisconsin but or an Oklahoma, but that's not the point. The point is that while there isn't a top school like that, any school 
at the Pac-12 could win any game, and that speaks to how strong the conference is top to bottom, which I guess is a chicken or the egg question. Would you rather have a top-heavy conference with teams that are you know, just dominating, or would you rather have a conference where all the teams are strong, but maybe there isn't one strongest like superstar standout you know that that is the interesting question of course so um and then I wanted to talk a little bit before we wrap things up about um, some of the other games in the country that went on because there were a lot of really great football games Pac-12 aside college football this weekend was absolutely on fire started Friday night not only with Colorado Oregon but by Miami upsetting 20th ranked Virginia in true Miami fashion. It was an incredible win, 17-9 over the Cavaliers. Um, Nikosi Perry, just unreal talent. And I was able to watch him in person twice last season um, when there was all of that drama with Rosier and him. I am so incredibly happy that Nikosi Perry has found his stride at quarterback at Miami. And he's just such a talented kid to watch so much swagger love 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 so Alabama wins great Clemson definitive win over Florida State love seeing that because I'm tired of the talk that Clemson's not as good as everyone says they are he they absolutely are Trevor Lawrence absolutely is three touchdowns um four total but three passing touchdowns uh, 170 yards, 17 of 25. So impressive performance by him. Then my favorite game of the weekend, South Carolina, upsetting number three Georgia at the time, 20 to 17. An incredible, if you didn't watch this game, I honestly suggest finding the replay because it was just a roller coaster ride of emotion. And they, you know, they won in overtime, two two overtimes on a field goal um, after having missed some and Georgia missing. I mean, Blankenship, Rodrigo Blankenship, the Georgia kicker, I've never seen him miss. So that was crazy to see. And then your heart goes out, you know, to Halinski, the quarterback at South Carolina, whose brother, you know, passed away not long ago. So seeing him flourish and seeing him celebrate his team's win. It was really um, those of us that are college football writers or even fans that follow the game. We all know the the Tyler Hilinski story. So it was really, really great to see that. Um, It added another layer of victory to the game. Um, LSU Florida was actually a bit of a barn burner. LSU holding on to win 42-28, which, of course, we all saw coming because Joe Burrow is amazing. even though Kyle Trask, the Florida quarterback, had quite a game himself, 310 yards, three touchdowns. Oklahoma, Texas, of course, you had to see the Red River showdown. It was way more of a defensive effort than anybody thought. So very impressive game there with Oklahoma edging them 34-27. And then Wisconsin completely shutting out Michigan State. I mean, zero points for the Spartans, 38-0. The game I was supposed to be at, Penn State, Iowa, Penn State ended up winning 17-12. Was unable to make it, which was a bummer because, you know, I hear Kinnick is great, but that was still a very big defensive game. And then one of my other favorite games was the Louisville upset over Wake Forest, 62-59. Love the Cardinals got this win. Um, They're super fun to watch. I was telling people from day one when I saw them play Notre Dame, watch out for this team because they are impressive. So that's kind of the rundown for... What went on nationally? Um, again, make sure you subscribe to the Lockdown Pac-12 podcast wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at lo underscore Pac-12. 
or follow me on Twitter at MLNEM and please give us feedback. Let us know um, how I'm doing, how the show's going, how much you love it. And uh, feel free to rate us and leave a review. I love feedback. I love interacting with people on social media. So please, please let me know your thoughts and stay tuned for a very interesting week on the podcast. I have some fun guests lined up this week to chat about all things Pac-12 football and then we'll break down the games for next weekend. Very fun Thursday night game that I will be at Stanford versus UCLA. Um, Shouldn't be too hard for the Cardinal, but you know, you never know on these crazy things hit different on a Thursday for sure. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned this week. Stay sassy like I do. And as always, stay locked on Pac-12.